none of us are going to be able to speak very long. Another episode of Raj Nation Innovations Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka The Raj Nation. I am your show's host, the founder of Raj Nation Innovation. I'm also a hip hop artist and a yoga instructor. Above all else, I am a storyteller. And I am joined by my co host, Victoria Cohen. Victoria is the voice behind the blog almondsandasana.com. She's also a yoga instructor and community activist focused on helping you make positive lifestyle choices to impact you and the people you serve. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help creative thinkers like you and I better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. It's real talk with real people doing real big things to show you the real side of success. In this episode, we sit down with Beth Bond. Beth is the founder of Community Startups, helping Chicago public schools learn more about social entrepreneurship. And in this episode, we talk about social entrepreneurship, specifically asking the question, how do you be a social entrepreneur? Before we dive into that conversation, I want to extend an invitation. If you are not a member already, join our tribe by going to www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Enter your email address there. You will never miss another episode of the show. Getting an email in your inbox every single Monday when we release a new episode. You also get my stories and tips throughout the week for telling your startup story. Let's dive in now to our conversation with Beth Bond. How do you be a social entrepreneur? Let's listen in. Um, I I guess social entrepreneurship is important because it's really that um, that recipe of social issues that affect a mass amount of people and the ability to scale uh, an idea that provides a solution. Um, So what excites me about living in Chicago at this day and age is the amount of, um, I guess, younger uh, startup folks who are really all about pushing forward some sort of social change issue versus our older peers who really set out to make profit. so social entrepreneurship to me, um, you know, there's many definitions, but it's definitely that marriage of making a difference while doing good. And we see so many different examples across our city of this in Blue 1647 and the kind of educational um, venue and programming that they're providing to youth and, you know, a lot of hard skills like coding and, um, and app development. Um, you know, a lot of nonprofits in this age of uh, saturated giving market, especially this uh, Giving Tuesday that we're recording this episode. Um, you know, since the surgence of crowdfunding platforms, nonprofits have had a really hard time um, trying to break through that that noisy barrier. Um, it, when I can give to my cousin Steve's surgery and my friend Becky's startup, um, you know, that leaves a lot less money on the table for nonprofits who have traditionally been a huge driver of social change. 
And um, nowadays, social entrepreneurship and social enterprise is a really valuable model for them to adopt in order to um, survive um, and stay relevant. So um, that's kind of the work that I've been doing over the past, you know, 11 years in startup is working with uh, companies and nonprofits alike to figure out how we can create products that make an impact. Go ahead, Victoria. So cool. I love it. So I don't know if Raj like filled you in a little bit about my... This is why I wanted her on the I know, show. Because I figured you, you would geek out. You can just leave now, yeah, Raj. Just, we'll I will just... step back here. <laughs> I know, um, no, so I worked for Pepsi for five years and I left... Um, last year, like a little over a year ago, started teaching yoga full time. I just, I knew I didn't want to be there anymore and doing that, but I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. Sure. Um, that was in like September and then the election. And mm -hmm. I was like, just, you know, like a lot of people. Hashtag the said, election. <laughs> hashtag my life felt like it was over. And, <laughs> and um, through a bit of soul searching, I really felt like I needed to figure out how to just be more active, like in my community, in, in my own little life. Like how can I, how can I just do small things in my own little world to be a, to advocate for the things that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And I started realizing that it was like a lot easier to to do than I thought it was. You know, totally. everyone thinks like, oh, I need to like stop showering and stop driving anywhere and, you know, all these ridiculous things. What weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, I'm just you know, and then you start to do a little bit of research and I'm like by no means any sort of expert, but just from the little things that I've started figuring out and picking up, um, you know, I don't cook red meat at all anymore at home and I don't really eat dairy. Sure. Um, you know, just, just little things like that that are really not hard And for those who don't make. know, why yeah. is the red meat thing have to do with yeah. any sort of activism? So cows are really terrible for the environment. <laughs> yeah, they're the number one contributor yeah. to climate change. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, I, there's some crazy, I mean, there's so many amazing statistics out there, but one of them is uh, because I happen to mention not showering because, you know, you think water waste and all mm -hmm. of that. I think it's the, how much water it takes to produce one pound of red meat is the equivalent of basically six months worth of showers. Yeah, no, there's so yeah. many indicators that people don't know about the mm -hmm. breadth of that problem. Like yep. for the 7 billion people that we have on this planet, over 80 billion cows are killed every single year. Mm -hmm. That is insane. Mm -hmm. Like imagine, you know, just because it's a different species, we commoditize it and, you know, it's, it's yeah. crazy, but one of my student groups looked at this problem of animal cruelty, mm. which I thought was so strange. You know, in our after-school program, we um, have the class kind of list off all of these things that are wrong with the world that they live in, mm -hmm. um, and we use them as prompts to innovate mm -hmm. and to say, what can we do about it, and how can we use technology to provide a solution or to shift people's behaviors mm -hmm. lightly? Um, and animal cruelty was an interesting one to me because... You know, in terms of like my prioritization of causes, it's not on the top. Yep. And <laughs> certainly if it's a number one contributor to climate change, maybe it should be. Mm -hmm. But I asked them, okay, so this is puzzling me, you guys. Like usually people say in Chicago, gang violence, gun violence, social justice, like these are our biggest issues. And you guys said animal cruelty. How old? Can you tell me? They were um, middle school. So I okay. think these were mostly sixth and seventh graders. So I can see that, but like what an interesting view through like a kid's eyes. Right. And, well, what I thought they were going to say is like, um, you know, it's like dog fighting or something. <laughs> I was like, why is animal cruelty, how are people cruel to animals is what I asked them so that I could really dive into the issue with them and be, you know, impassioned. You have to have empathy in order to really effectively problem solve. And um, and so what they said was, well, we're killing 
sharks and dolphins um, way too much and they're, we're using it for meat. And I said, oh, okay, so you guys see animal cruelty as a problem because we are creating a commodity out of living things. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, totally. And I said, okay. Well, here's the problem is I love bacon and I love cheese and I will probably never stop eating them all together unless we can figure out bacon that grows from a seed. All about it. I will invest in that startup. I love the idea. Figure it out. Um, but how could we potentially educate people on um, a, how to grow produce? You know, what is the alternative to what you think the problem is? And it's maybe eating more fruits and vegetables. And they came up with a really incredible app that creates kind of a new gig economy model out of um, growing produce. Or like you could go and geolocate yourself on the app and find what community gardens, what local um, people are growing flowers in their garden, and then mm -hmm. sell them right through the app. Cool. So it's like yeah. hyper local, all about sustainable farming, um, urban cool. agriculture. Like it was so cool. So like when we look at it, an initial problem set, we might jump to a conclusion as to where that problem lies. But, you know, when you dig deeper, when you get to the root of the problem, it's so much more complex and really fun to educate yourself mm -hmm. around. Totally. So, yeah, so um, absolutely. I think that's like really awesome. But so what I ended up kind of like doing with that is thinking like, okay, there's all these little things that I can do to feel like I'm, you know, contributing more that I'm doing my part, just sure. doing the best that I can in little mm -hmm. ways. Um, so I started my blog, Almonds and Asana, and a lot of what I tried to do, it's a lot of food recipes. And so a lot okay. of it is around like sustainable cooking and sustainable eating cool. and just being more mindful. So like being a lot more, you know, mm -hmm. plant forward in my foods, um, sustainable fish and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and actually one really cool company that's coming to Chicago, I don't know if you know of them. I happen to know a girl I went to school with a million years ago who works for them um, in LA. And so they're in LA, San Francisco, maybe like Portland, Seattle, and they're coming to Chicago. I'm going to start um, doing some collaboration stuff with them when they launch in a week or two mm -hmm. it's called imperfect produce okay cool. and so they sell like not good looking fruits and vegetables for, sure. yeah. for like 40 or 50 whatever percent off of what you yeah. would normally pay Europe for has it. entire grocery stores that are all the rejected exactly produce. and they but they deliver to yeah. you so like cool. every week you get your you know i've signed up for like the medium-sized organic box and mm -hmm. then you know on their website they show you you know all the different impactful things that your box is sure. doing um so just so many cool companies out there like that that i'm really interested in so i'm so yeah. Happy to be connected with you and learning about this through through your eyes. Yeah. No, the one thing that concerns me about like the um, the food models where they ship to you and mm -hmm. it, and I think like the uh, subscription models where it's just produce is probably a little different. Mm -hmm. But like in Blue Apron or Home Chef or oh, all yeah. of those different ones the amount the packaging. of packaging yeah, yeah, yeah. is obscene. No, I think this, I'm assuming it's just oh like a box. Gosh, I, I right. think that they're all about like producing sure. that. But yeah, no, so I agree. even in social entrepreneurship though, you rub yeah. up against these issues where mm -hmm. you didn't initially think like, oh, I'm doing something so good. I'm providing this great service that's going to help people retrain kind of like their caloric and nutrient rich intake or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, their original vision was. And then, There's you know, problems. you butt up against all of these, um, yeah, these, these consumer behaviors that well, I remember when I bigger problems. When I told my mom about this whole imperfect produce thing, we were recently talking about it. She was like, yeah, but now is that food that otherwise would have been going to like a food bank or to, mm -hmm. so the, I don't know how they, how they work around well, that. Hopefully but. they have 
some sort of give back yes, model. Like totally. that's how most people build social impact into mm-hmm. their for-profit models is yeah. like a Tom's buy one, give one. Um, so those models are great. And when there is a portion of your company that's allocated to nonprofit funding, you know, cause-based marketing is one of the most effective forms of marketing now. And, mm-hmm. and the younger consumers and the younger non-consumers that will graduate very soon um, into being paying customers uh, are going to demand that of brands. And thank goodness. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we start to see like corporate social responsibility being one of the biggest topics that's discussed at a corporate level, even for like Fortune 100 brands, you mm-hmm. know, um, especially for Fortune 100 brands. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's a really cool, massive world that's still being developed. The, you brought up Tom's and that to me, it's worth mentioning and a good example because one of the things I think people miss in the idea of social entrepreneurship or doing good is letting the mission sort of overtake the actual day-to-day output of whatever it is you're, you're producing. And to be more direct with that, what yeah. I mean is you can't get away with having, with having a social impact mission but a shit product. Like Tom's model works because mm-hmm. the shoes are comfortable and they look good. If the shoes were uncomfortable and looked terrible, mm-hmm. no one would buy Tom's and they would donate no shoes to, you know. Although they were at the beginning. Did you listen to his episode of How I Built This? No. Yeah. He, I listened. So actually, it's funny because on over Thanksgiving, we were on this long drive and we listened to a bunch of episodes. Me too. I listened to like eight Did episodes you, yeah, on so my drive. <laughs> okay. Well, Tom, the two that come to mind in this com- conversation are Tom's for the obvious re- reason that we're discussing. And then also um, Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. I listened to, to that them. one. Yeah. Because <laughs> their whole thing is about, you know, well, they're, they, they had this voice, uh, you know, of social justice mm-hmm. and everything, which is interesting that then who was it Unilever who bought them yeah. I think it was yeah. Unilever but how they've kind of kept that brand true mm-hmm. and that's why they've continued to be successful but yeah. also because their product's really good right yeah. <laughs> yeah right but if Ben and Jerry's ice cream sucked right you don't get no one would you don't care get that they're anywhere. out there and, like and, and, voicing their opinion yeah no just because like there's social entrepreneurship is a really hot place to be or like a growing landscape like doesn't mean that you can get away with like it still has the 92 I would say that it's much higher in terms of like the rate of um, failure mm-hmm. for startups like social startups have an entirely different pro- like uh, traje- trajectory sorry mm. um, there is a great book uh, called lean startup for social change and it's by Michael Glebter and um, it it addresses, you know, Eric's book all about lean startup and and how you have these different points where you're looking at market validation and pivoting and um and reassessing, but for the social entrepreneur or the social enterprise, you are quite often changing behavior. And that is so much different than trying to get somebody to buy, you know, something that could benefit them. So, um I would I would I would challenge everybody to to either get the audiobook, which I did. Uh, that's the only way I read anymore. Um, and uh, and go through that because he he really um, I identified in my process through a bunch of different projects with the the roadmap that he lays out there. Mm-hmm. So out of curiosity, what so obviously we know a little bit about what you're doing, and we'll come back to that. But what mm-hmm. have you done previously, or what kinds of um, social entrepreneurs have you worked with? Oh gosh. Um, 
I guess one of the most recent projects, we're still um, we're still actually uh, managing the community for, for one, but um, the Chicago Leadership Alliance, uh, it's a really great group here in Chicago. It's made up of about 100 zennial millennials um, who... <laughs> is zennials like younger than millennials? What They're is, the are one they that's above? a little oh, older. Oh. Right. So between, so between Gen X early and, 80s, right? Okay, Anybody from like 79 to 83, got they're it. saying is a zennial and everybody after is millennial. <laughs> we're, we're all just like... Don't call us anything. Yeah. Or we don't we like are boxes, We're the right? generation of unique individuals. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's about a hundred of um, Chicago's leaders in civic, corporate, small business, tech startup, and nonprofit, and really just all driven to to make positive change in the city because we believe in living here. And um, you know, I have a three and a half year old. If we're not creating a city that is conducive to raising the next generation in it, then why are we here? Mm-hmm. Um, so we got behind a really cool initiative with Tech Week, um, and we ran their uh, their first giving campaign with technology that we developed. Um, so it was a really true social entrepreneurship endeavor because it had um, Tech Week as a partner. It had a startup, UBAC, which is a giving platform for corporate Shout out um, to Caitlin Riemann. Yeah, Caitlin. Um, Caitlin was on our team with GoCivic. Uh, and then the Chicago Leadership Alliance. So you have a nonprofit, you've got a tech startup, you've got a corporate interest all coming together and birthing this platform that is really built around community engagement. Um, that's something that I focused in for the past six years is how do we get people to engage better? We're at this great time where everybody wants to, mm-hmm. but if you didn't lay any track work before today, mm-hmm. um, you're going to have a really hard time um, trying to funnel people to what really matters. So um, last year, uh, I guess in January of this year, we got together and said, okay, let's fuel the Tech Week campaign. Um, we got the top 50 corporations across Chicago to participate and in 90 days from March March to June, um, raised over $1.6 million for local nonprofits and STEM education and tracked like 40,000 volunteer hours. So um, that's that's a, a recent project I've worked on. Um, but yeah, I think that whenever you can have multiple partners with different interests all coming together to collaborate around one product, you get so many perspectives that you never would have before. And you really get to see like, how people engage with that tool because you're leveraging all of the networks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. How does one, so you have climate change, you have save the whales. Pick one. You know, yeah, you have all of these competing causes. Yeah. And you said, you know, you told your students, Look, I'm gonna eat bacon, and I like. I don't know if you told them that. You told us. Oh, I sure told them. You like they bacon, agree. and They're you eat cheese, this. right? Yeah. So, how do you effectively knowing that there's so much out there? You know, there's the Breast Cancer Foundation, all these things, and there's like there's Movember in November, mm-hmm. but then it's Susan G. Komen month in October, mm-hmm. and then you have Giving Tuesday today. Mm-hmm. How do you actually go and and you know I, I have friends texting me saying. Hey, can you support this? My friends go fund me for a surgery. Mm-hmm. Like literally, like you, and you, you mentioned those kinds of things exist now. Yeah. Which is like so sad that we have to even do that in this country. That well, here's like, I can't, I can't. But so like, so like, what, like how do you, how do you yeah. choose? Right. I don't, well, I think that we need to reframe that question. 
Um, because so often when we think of giving, um, everybody looks at financial capital as that number one source or number one valued resource that, uh, that we're being asked to give. But in fact, um, one of the things that I really like about Chicago's new Cook County um, Social Innovation Commission, so it's chaired by Chewy um, Garcia. Sorry, not Chewy uh, Garcia. Um, that's his nickname, right? No, Chewy. Well, he, he ran. That's he went by that when he ran his, for mayor. Yeah. Garcia, right? <laughs> so, um, but he goes by Chewy. But he goes by yeah. <laughs> Great, Chewy, you rock. Um, uh, Mark Lane, who is actually the author of the L3C legislation mm. for the new model, um, the limited liability or low profit limited liability corporation that we now have in Illinois, which taxes your revenue much lower because you have a social mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Emil Cambry is on that board. Mm. So is Kara Chicago, uh, Wendy Raymer. But one of the cool things that they did there is they broke apart the committees by different kinds of capital. So we have financial capital, we have intellectual capital, we have social capital and human capital. And these are the different kinds of resources we have to give. And so often um, it's frustrating because people think, well, I can't give money, so I have no value. Well, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Like even the Bureau of Labor and Statistics tracks one volunteer hour at an average value of $25 an hour. So if you just volunteered for four hours at the local soup kitchen, you've essentially contributed in the government's eyes $100 to Greater Chicago Food Depository or whoever it is. Um, Which you know, a lot of times can do more than giving money. Absolutely. Your social or network, just, right. your your ideas. If you sit on an advisory board and you have, um, we had an incredible idea from one of our board members for Go Civic, right? So Ryan Marks, he is an incredible restaurateur in Chicago. He's really young, but he's been a part of like five different restaurant groups. He has three different restaurants. He's opening up a school in Haiti. He had a great idea for fundraising for Go Civic, which is a nonprofit entity. Um, because he's in the food and restaurant, uh, food and bar scene, he went to a local brewer, a microbrewer, and said, Hey, would you do a custom brew for us that we can put in bars all across the city? So they're creating a beer for Go Civic. It's the nice. Civic Engagement Beer. And for every cup sold at the, you know, 25 restaurants that have already committed to carrying this, um, like a keg a week, that's a dollar per cup back to the nonprofit organization. Intellectual capital has the power to create brand new revenue channels that, you know, $25 of my bank account on Giving Tuesday would never have generated. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't think that there's... um, I don't think there's a question of if you can give, it's how. Like just decide how you want to give or how you are able to and identify what you're most passionate about and um, go talk to them, go volunteer, figure out what their model is and how you can contribute. No, and and I mean even that's what a lot of my blog is about too is that, okay, even if you don't have time, Say you don't have time to go volunteer. Say you don't have money, whatever. Say Mm -hmm. you've looked into all these things and you're like, I really, really can't. Then what little things can you just do at home? Can you stop, you know, using water right. bottles and just keep refilling your water? Sure. Can you, you know, can you again cook a little bit more sustainably? Mm-hmm. Um, those types of little smaller right. actions 
Um, maybe you drive less and you, you know, take public transportation. Right. Maybe you just reduce your food waste. You stop throwing things out right. from the fridge at the end of the week. Instead, you actually sort through it and put sure. stuff in your freezer. Just those kinds of little things. So I usually even will go to the extent of, and I'm not like the poster child for any of this by any means. We're but, well aware. <laughs> <laughs> but if I have like a brown bag or a plastic cup and there's only a trash can, I'll just put it in my backpack and put it in a recycling can at home. So I just showed up with one. Yeah, or yeah. yeah. (laughs) As you showed up with one here and filled it up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Those, I think, are some of the little actions you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah. or even like social channels. This is the interesting thing Mm -hmm. that I tell kids every week is your ability to master mobile technology and social apps rivals any experience in that realm of any 40-year CEO. Mm -hmm. Like you, in terms of your education on how to get across a message through Snapchat is better than their ability to (laughs) learn that information. And oh my gosh, you are the consumer of tomorrow. They are looking to get to you anyway. Like people need to feel empowered in order to feel like they're contributing, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I don't know if that's on topic, but yeah. <laughs> well, I think so. Coming back to the idea of the intellectual capital, um, that to me is, I think, the most important resource, or, or yeah, the resource that can be better developed. Because just throwing money at a problem does not solve a problem. It puts a band-aid over it, but. You know, everyone, and I don't want to get into a whole like diatribe here because I don't have enough information to make the most informed opinion, Mm -hmm. but everyone's like, oh, we have to raise minimum wage. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, but everything else is going to increase a little bit then too, and you just still be behind by a little bit. Is it that we have to increase minimum wage or is it that we can better educate uh, communities so that they don't have to work this kind of a job. They can do something else and make money in different ways. Oh, yeah. Well, if we're yeah. going to talk about all the ways that education is broken, we'll yes. be here a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but certainly, it. like, I, I think that there is a huge push to get coding in our schools and cybersecurity training and all of these hard skills or these core skills that um, exist in future jobs. But, like, the real thing that we need to be teaching kids as a foundational Um, piece of knowledge leading up to those different vocations is design thinking, is looking at a problem, gaining empathy for the users that are affected by it, um, basing any ideation off of those data sets, and working in a team to collaborate on developing an actual solution. Like, you know, uh, critical thinking, problem solving, like those are the core elements that we really need to be putting into classrooms versus rote memorization and, you know, <laughs> you know, I no, love, I just, I'm hey. a super nerd, no, no, so no. I love the periodic no, table. I do too. I, I get it. I get it. But it's actually, it's, I only bring wait, that I, up. Hang because... on. I love that the, com- the, the exchange just happened was, wait, I'm a nerd. I love the periodic table. No, no, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I don't like, no, but it's funny because again, I was just having the conversation with my mom about my yeah. six-year-old nephew and just like all the things that he will and won't learn in school. Like they've gotten rid of cursive and how much writing will he actually no need to learn to how to do? Because he does everything right. on computers. But I'll never know the other meaning of a mouse. So we'll <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but then but then we were even talking about how about all of those things that like, like the periodic table of elements. Mm-hmm. Does he really need to know all that in his head? If you could just kind of Google all those things. I don't know the answer to that question. And that's like mm-hmm. one totally random arbitrary sure. thing. Um, 
But it's just so interesting if you really start to think about like the types of things that we learn, even just specific dates of things that happened in history mm-hmm. that maybe we were taught as opposed to looking at a more big picture version of why did this happen? How did this affect this as opposed to in 1840? What You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting because oh, yeah. now you just look all that up. It didn't used to be so easy. So people needed to know those yeah. kinds sure. of things. And now teaching real history would probably yeah, also exactly. help. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that. Right. No, um, I, I agree that, you know, there are certain things that some people are better equipped to know and understand mm-hmm. versus teaching a mass population mm-hmm. um, information that they don't think is even relevant to them. You know, like if we taught um, statistics in schools versus calculus, maybe, you know, our economy would be a little bit better off because people would understand like the risk aversion of making mm-hmm. certain decisions, right? So yeah, that I think yeah. uh, maybe the next segment you can do, I'll I'll hook you up with someone from CPS is to do like education and yeah. what opportunities <laughs> yeah. we have to improve it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think though. I mean, just to take that math example, right? You could teach some advanced mathematical concepts as they are, or I, like the one I always look at. I was like, like take sine and cosine graphs for example. Mm-hmm. Not that I was not like. I wasn't opposed to it because I didn't think it was that hard to learn at the time. Ooh. I don't remember any of it now, but at the time <laughs> in high school, fine. it was fine. Sure. But if they had explained it in the concept of like, this is what a sound would, like literally like what we're recording right now yeah. is, is sine and cosine Practical graphs application will make things stick much mm-hmm. more, right? You can say something or you can make people, it's like using the five senses, but once they feel it yeah. or like can see it in their life, for sure it sticks better. When we had um, Professor Patrick Murphy on, Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I, th- I think it was the first time, so like the fourth episode of this show ever, mm-hmm. pre-Victoria. Um, he said, because the way he teaches his classes, and I, I took his class as a student mm-hmm. several years ago, practical application. Yeah. And he teaches an entrepreneurship class. Mm-hmm. So but the, the, the line he said in that episode is he said, um, practice, or excuse me, Theory without practice is pointless, but practice without theory is blind. Mm. So it's the combination of the two. If you just send people out into the wild and say, do it, mm-hmm. they're not going to learn anything if they don't get any sort of like formal education first. Sure. But if you only have the formal education with none of the go out into the wild, mm-hmm. well, then you just create. Well, and it's such a, a piece of the puzzle that like early stage entrepreneurs learn the hard way because you develop a product that you never talk to anybody about, <laughs> right? And, you know, why Why do they have any buy-in, number one? Number two, like, you haven't ever solved their personal pain points or barriers. So, yeah, um, definitely practical application makes things stick. Let's pause 60 seconds for this public service announcement for you startup founders out there listening. The Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast is brought to you by Raj Nation Innovation. If you are not familiar yet with Raj Nation Innovation, let me tell you real quick. I talk to founders pretty much every day who flat out tell me, Raj, we suck at telling our story. Well, my job is to remove the suck. With Raj Nation Innovation, I blend a unique background in both branding and songwriting because, as I'm sure you know if you've been listening to this show, I am also a hip-hop artist, and so I look at business communication through the lens of entertainment and performance. 
And with that approach, I partner with growth-focused startups to help them develop their pitch, their story, and their message so they can go raise investor capital and acquire their early customers. Companies like FanFood, Keo, Jiffy Rides, Muses, and more have all gone through my signature brand communication playbook and come out on the other side winning pitch competitions, raising seed funding, and being masters of telling their story. Holler at me at www.rajnationinnovation.com. That's R-A-J Nation, innovation.com. Back now to the show. So then when we think about it in a social entrepreneurship sense, I always, like, by nature, I will look at things through communication lens and a marketing lens. The, and that's by nature of how I think and what I do cool. for work. So it's what I find unique about social, uh, social-based companies is you have all these entrepreneurs out there, like let's set aside social entrepreneurship for a second. You have all these other entrepreneurs out there who are really afraid to take a stance mm-hmm. with how they talk about their company because they're afraid of alienating Certain a potential groups. customer. And I will always, like, sure. whenever, whenever I work with startups, I will tell them, like, we have to be for something mm-hmm. and be against something because if we're, if we're everything to anyone, mm-hmm. then we're nothing. And no one, it, it, it's the Hamilton line, right? If you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are afraid to stand for something and say, this is the audience we're going after. Mm-hmm. Because if we say we're going after them, well, that means we ignore these other people over here. But, mm-hmm. but that can be fine. Because if you can get, you know, 1% of this $80 billion market over mm-hmm. here, you won't care about ignoring the other people. Sure. Whereas in social entrepreneurship, by nature, what you're creating is taking a stance for of sure. what you are for and what you are against. Yeah. No, somebody that I recently spoke with was uh, Big Shoulders Coffee. It's Tim Coonan. Oh, you're drinking out of their um, cup right now. Yeah, I sure am. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Um, but one of the comments that he made, um, which kind of shifted my perspective uh, a little bit in terms of small business owners, like certainly in tech startup, like there's a huge risk that you're taking and, and in all startups. But um, it, the the point that he made was that being a business owner is a political statement. Like mm. you are making a statement of where you want to do business, who you want to do business with, what the price point or threshold for cost is that you think they can absorb. Like it's a political decision, not only the fact that you have to go through permitting and licensing and state requirements for starting that business. So. Certainly, um, you have to take a stance because that's what brand identity is all about, right? Mm-hmm. And and the people that do, um, we respect that much more for it. Um, I don't know. We could probably name off five examples within the last week, but certainly, like after the um, after the Uber catastrophe uh, with their CEO, there were certain companies that used that as an opportunity. To say, we are not like them, come to us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I mean, you you can actually look at your competitors and see what stances they're taking and then take the rest of the audience that they just alienated. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, Victoria, do you consider your... I would say you are. Do you consider yourself to be a social entrepreneur? Yeah. I like. I have a hard time categorizing myself as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does a blogger count as an entrepreneur? <laughs> No, I'm not really Are you working sure. independent of someone telling you what to do? Yeah, I guess so. 
I don't know. I have a hard time like giving myself that particular title, but uh, but if you are, then I if you're calling me an entrepreneur, I would say you're yes. a social entrepreneur. I'm a social entrepreneur. <laughs> no, no, no. I said no. I said I wasn't. No, I'm not saying you are a social entrepreneur. I'm saying if you're saying oh, so what's it now? I'm not a social. <laughs> I'm saying if you think that I'm an entrepreneur. Okay, fine. That's fine. If you want to give that title, then I would give it the social entrepreneur title. Because yes, what I feel like I'm doing and what I feel like I want to do is so like has like a social mission, Mm -hmm. if you will. Yeah. And benefit. And I just, so I don't know exactly what it is for sure at the end that I want to create but what I'm creating in the process right. certainly has a large think, undertone of And I think that action. would, whatever that endpoint is, that would be your social enterprise. Totally. You are a social entrepreneur testing different ways of launching whatever, right. you know, revenue it generating right. idea you have. Exactly. But yeah. yes, the social aspect is entirely what drove me to start my blog. Yeah. And I would say if you're ultimately going to monetize in some way, you're in the startup world, you'd mm-hmm. just be in pre-revenue right now. Yes, I like sure I am. Really- nice way of saying <laughs> yeah. that. I know. You're giving me all kinds of really fancy titles over here. I do love that phrase, though, pre-revenue. Pre-revenue. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't made this it down. honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> we can keep making up numbers because we yeah, haven't made exactly. anything yet. Let them fall from the sky. <laughs> um, so when we look at this from the lens of choosing a path of entrepreneurship or social entrepreneurship. I guess let's call it standard versus social. What things does a person need to consider if they want to go into social entrepreneurship? Um, so I don't know that there's a, there's obviously a difference between being an entrepreneur and a social entrepreneur, but I think in 2017, um, everyone has some social element built into their business. So... I mean, it's a. It's, it's almost a, harder to find a company that doesn't exactly than one right. that does. Yeah, like everyone knows you kind of have to. Start right, doing we've that. just totally reframed what it means to to um, to be an entrepreneur. I think, and uh, there's not many people that are just doing a pool noodle anymore. Although, very good <laughs> ge- revenue generating idea. Um, but um, yeah, but the ones that are doing it with biodegradable styrofoam. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> See, like there, there are ways that um, people are innovating that are purely like revenue generating, but there is some social element to them. So what do you consider when starting a business? Like same sort of thing. Who is your target market? Whose lives are you trying to improve? Even if it's just with your pool noodle that's making a kid happy over it. You know what I mean? Um, like I, I think that it's one in the same, um, in 2017 versus being this either or. Mm -hmm. So, um, what is, what is the problem that you're addressing? Um, what is the idea that you have? How are you different? And I think the social element comes into play when you actually have KPIs or key performance indicators with community impact tied into it, Mm -hmm. right? It's just additional reporting that you're doing based on um, the roadmap that you have set up. Mm. So our our company we're going to create is pool noodles for cool doodles. Every pool noodle you buy... We will donate a crayon to a child in need so they can draw out a cool, Just no- cool one doodle. Just one crayon. <laughs> well, remember the kid with the purple crayon? Crayons. Remember that book? He did a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> pool, noodles for, pool noodles for that, cool doodles. Tell us how that works and when you're not pre-revenue. <laughs> <laughs> We're still in the pre-revenue stage. 
Um, an example I really actually like, uh, just giving a local example, mm -hmm. um, the yoga studio down the street here that Victoria and I both teach at, Bare Feet Power Yoga. Yeah. Uh, the owner, Robin, <laughs> oh, whoops, that way, <laughs> pointed the wrong direction. It's okay. They don't know where you're pointing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the owner, Robin, who has been a guest on this show in the past, she kind of, she has in her head and heart to like do what she can to make yoga accessible to everyone. Sure. Because yoga studios are expensive, right? Mm -hmm. And it's exercise at the end of the day. Yeah. And should exercise cost that much? Mm -hmm. Who knows? But in order for her to operate her business, she has to charge membership rates. Sure. And what she's had for a long time is every Saturday afternoon, a free community class. Cool. And what she said she was, you know, kind of struggling with recently was like she wants to be able to pay the staff better, pay the teachers like Victoria and I and the others better. Mm -hmm. But she can't do that without making more money. And how do you make more money? You increase membership rates. And she's like, but then that gets or me find further. additional revenue. Yeah. Us, right. Um, but you can't do that. But in doing that, you now make it less attainable mm -hmm. for some people to be able to afford to go to the studio. Sure. So sort of like the compromise she did was she did raise rates. She is paying us better, but she added a second free community class during the week. Mm -hmm. So now in any given week, you can go take yoga twice for free at oh. her studio, which Just I have think... have to get there, right? Yeah. Transportation, man. Yeah. Like in terms of accessibility, I think transportation and mobility mm -hmm. issues are probably the biggest barrier um, other than, you know, people not having access to Wi-Fi or tech devices. But mm -hmm. like transportation is largely, I think, uh, a number one issue. And um, I know of a lot of different corporations that are really looking to uh, invest in solutions around that. But it's, it's interesting because a lot of the times we're creating business models or viewing things through the lens of today, whereas like in 10 years, the market size of Chicago will be dramatically different. Mm -hmm. um, and there will be so many other considerations that aren't even on our radar right, yeah. right now. So um, yeah, I think like one of the things that a lot of people turn to a lot of times is corporate sponsorship, right? So like if she's going to do a community yoga day, what if it's presented by, you know, certain corporations have a very specific community focus in different neighborhoods of the city because mm -hmm. they're kind of like piloting out what it is to really look at a geo-targeted area mm -hmm. and try to make impact so that they can quantify results on it, right? Like Mesero Financial has a huge focus in um, the Brighton Park neighborhood. So if you have free community days, maybe, you know, you're, they're getting somebody to sponsor some sort of ability to transport people in. Partner with Lyft. Lyft is incredible partnering with different people in the city hmm. to um, provide transportation access. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different people that are that are looking at that, but certainly a barrier is uh, is to access to anything is transportation. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Let's talk more about you and what you've built. Oh, Beth. so I'm a Gemini. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your company is Community Startups, which is specifically focused on social entrepreneurship programming for Chicago public schools. That's sort of like the baseline level understanding mm -hmm. of it. Can you let our listeners know why it's about more than just entrepreneurial program, social entrepreneurial programming? 
Yeah, so um, I started community startups about three and a half years ago, um, just kind of volunteer teaching uh, social entrepreneurship and CPS. Uh, there's a great uh, nonprofit in town who's actually no longer um, set up shop here. Um, community, or I'm sorry, uh, citizen schools that invites their mission is inviting everyday citizens um, who are background checked and fingerprinted into CPS classrooms to teach their passion to you. Um, so using people who have that practical application who are super impassioned versus a teacher reading, you know, coursework out of pre um, pre approved curriculum um, to a class and and so we would go through this process of identifying huge problems in the community and um, and coming up with solutions that were tech enabled and every single time we had a, a program and we'd have a big pitch night where all of the youth would get up on their teams and they'd present their solutions to all of the parents that showed up and teachers and um, and it was so funny because I knew that so many of them could be funded. I was like, oh my gosh, not only are these ideas from youth, youth totally underestimate their ability to like hype people up about what they've created. Like the fact that um, a middle schooler is coming up with a mobile app is enough to get anybody hyped up about even just downloading the app while they're there. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. people love when kids are selling stuff. It's like mm -hmm. the lemonade stand, but 2.0. Right. Um, Kid president. Right. Totally. So um, no, I'm we, not talking about our current president. I'm talking about the actual YouTube series. Yeah. No. That's a, <laughs> do we have a current president? Um, <laughs> that's a joke. So. <laughs> But, um, but it was so exciting because uh, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I know people who would buy this if we could create it. Um, and so we kind of took that programming outside of Chicago Public Schools and brought it into different tech corporations around town through like an accelerator model over the summer. So this captive period of time where students um, had free time um, and you know we could transport them downtown. And we turned this kind of just after school program into a real living, breathing accelerator um, where they would work with Motorola and they would work with Uptake and they would work with Groupon and they would work with all of these corporations to think through what it is to bring a product to market, mm. price it out, develop a prototype of it. Like that process is so overwhelming, even just for adults. So um, it transformed into this, you know, after school program into, you know, a full blown accelerator and Three out of the five products that we've put through over the past um, two years have received funding to actually go into um, development. So, yeah, it's uh, it's giving youth or young people, our next generation, access to real world experience, what it is to problem solve, what it is to develop and bring to market, um, and even see all of the spaces that really innovative companies are doing that in all, of, all across the city. Can you talk more about the access component of this and why that's really key is providing access? Um, in terms of transportation access? Well, you said access to the opportunities to be able yeah. to do these things. Well, so one of our uh, students, um, one of our teams last year worked uh, on this kind of solution. So they said, uh, you know, let's look at unemployment, transportation, and food access. Like, they, they really wanted wow. to take on a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh shit, how do we really merge these all into one? Um, but when you talk to people and use um, the demographic who faces the problem most frequently as your kind of stakeholder group, you realize all of the different complexities of those barriers, right? So I grew up um, 
traveling, but we always had a bus to school, right? Did you grow up with a yellow school bus that pulled up outside and brought you to school? Yes. So what most people don't know is that in mm -hmm. Chicago, middle schoolers and high schoolers actually have to travel by CTA. There's no bus for them because we're in such an urban city. It's kind of crazy, like the amount of money that uh, CPS would have to put into school buses and um, they, they do that for, I believe it's uh, charter schools and elementary or special needs programs. But for the majority of students in CPS, they're actually transporting on public transportation, which is usually not on time or safe. Mm -hmm. um, and if their parents don't have $5 that day for connection fees, they're not going to school. Um, so it's this huge problem that I wasn't even aware of. Um, and what they ended up doing was looking at the ride sharing models like Lyft and Uber and saying, okay, well, couldn't we do like some sort of carpool service where um, based on my school schedule and the routing location of people nearby me who also need to go to the same school, um, let's get a carpool service picking youth up kind of like Lyft or Uber. They actually used Lyft. We use Lyft for all of our um, transportation stuff. They're incredible. Um, but then transport to school and uh, because there are so many different organizations who have transportation within their mission of funding nonprofits, um, we were able to find dollars to allocate for a pilot group. And so another fact that we learned was if you get to school before 8 a.m., you're provided free breakfast from the county. Youth in these tier two and three schools that are provided free lunch, like the free lunch program kids, um, that's usually the first meal that they're seeing that day is whenever they get to lunchtime mm. at school. And so if we are also able to tie in food and nutrition component into this transportation access app, um, you know, we're going to probably start to see or chart numbers in terms of their performance at school. It's much higher. Mm -hmm. um, so they would employ people in the neighborhood. Like it was a beautiful model. And the trust actually has them coming in in January to um, pitch it to their board. Um, but yeah, like access to opportunity is oftentimes limited based on your socioeconomic mm. status, right? Not only with transportation, but with your accessibility to Wi-Fi in most tier two and three schools in Chicago. If you go in there and try to have any sort of curriculum uploaded onto the computer, get out your watch to see how fast that computer screen loads. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you supposed to learn coding, even if you know, we have a huge um, desire to teach youth to code. How are you supposed to learn it if you don't even have Wi-Fi access? You know what I mean? So access to a number of things um, for youth specifically, food, transportation, technology, um, really limits your ability to have upward mobility, right? So, um, yeah, there's a lot of really awesome opportunities for people to tackle these issues. And um, with the way that funding is going, anybody who's got a social mission, I think, in the future is going to have a leg up over somebody who's just, you know, shooting out another pool noodle. <laughs> <laughs> Do the kids call you Beth or Miss Bond? Uh, it depends on what neighborhood I'm in, to be honest <laughs> with you. What um, do you prefer? Uh, I, I love uh, one of my students, Tim. He's like, yo, Miss Bond. <laughs> like, yeah, that's me. Bond. 
Vespa. Mm-hmm. I had a kid in kids yoga who could not remember my name, so he just kept calling me Coach, which was like, oh, the that's funniest. Coach. <laughs> yeah. My yoga coach. I'm like the least coachy looking. <laughs> no, what's really funny is my last name is totally lost on this next generation. Like, oh, Bond. they oh. have no idea. That's funny. maybe you'll get a bunch of chemists, and yeah, then they'll right. associate Bond with oh, like a my. chemical. Oh, name. like covalent. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All right, so uh, where can our listeners uh, learn more about Community Startups and get in touch with you? Yeah, so communitystartups.org. We've got a lot of different profiles of our uh, students' projects and um, where they're at. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn if you want to reach out, yo. Beth Bond. Yo, Yo. that's me. So to wrap up, we'll go one by one to give our answer to the topic question based on the discussion. We'll start with Victoria. Victoria, how do you be a social entrepreneur? I feel like there's a lot of ways, um, but I think for me, the way that I've kind of dove, dived, <laughs> we didn't know how to say that, <laughs> D- dove and dive, dove. Dove. the way I've dove into it, um, <laughs> I still don't feel like that's right. The way I have taken a dive into <laughs> yes. social entrepreneurship yes. is, for me, it started with feeling like I needed to do something. I didn't want to just keep being a consumer and a spender and a person walking through the world that wasn't conscious about how each thing I was buying, each, you know, product, food thing I was making, whatever, that it did not thinking about the impact that those things had down the line. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's kind of how my desire to be more socially conscious came about. But I think from an entrepreneurship um, perspective, it's just choosing some elements if it's, if it's not going to be the whole purpose of your company, then it's at least choosing some element of giving back or being socially aware. Yeah. Um, and so I think it means that pretty much anyone can do this, whether you're just your own person or you are a massive company. Even if it's mm-hmm. not your entire mission, it can still be a part of it. And in fact, it has to be. Yeah. There's really there's there's just not going to be a whole lot of opportunity going forward for companies that just want to make a pool noodle with nothing mm-hmm. else attached. <laughs> Uh, my answer for how do you be a social entrepreneur, I'll give the aggressive capitalist take on this. I, it's it. more so have a product or a service that is worth buying even if you did not have a mission tied to it. Because I think if you rely solely on the good of people, you won't get very far because it has to be something that they actually want mm-hmm. already. Like if organic food tasted like shit people wouldn't buy organic food just because they wanted to be better better citizens, right? You still want to like and enjoy what you eat at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, it, it is, you know, don't just think because you're using the Tom's model that all of a sudden mm-hmm. people are going to get on board. The shoes have to look and feel good for people to get on board. And then just one other thing I want to add is on the consumer side of it is it's, um, my friend Matt Wilson, who's been on this show a couple times, um, he said this um, a few years ago at this point, but um, he said, every dollar you spend, and I think he was quoting someone else, but every dollar you spend is a vote cast towards the world you want to create. Beautiful. Yep. So I think that's an important thing to understand from the consumer end with where your money is going is where your the future you're trying to ha- have happen is going. Great. Beth, how do you be a social entrepreneur? Um, you Just be Beth. Care, <laughs> like... 
like a crazy person. <laughs> like social entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship in general is a hard road to hoe. Um, so you have to care deeply, deeply, deeply about the passion that you're, or about the problem that you're trying to solve. Um, and learn as much about it and the people who are affected by it as possible and talk to them. Like when you, um, the most powerful thing you can do when you have an idea, especially if it's about solving a social issue, is talk to the people who are affected by it so that you understand um, all of the complexities that are tied to that social issue. Um, and then, you know, assemble a really collaborative community to attack the problem. Don't try to do it by yourself. That's what social is bringing to the table, right? Is um, talk to people, make it a collaborative community and get buy-in um, right from the gates and, and go for it. 008, Beth Bond. Thanks for being on the podcast. 008. <laughs> Yay, that was so much fun. <laughs> Wait, I have to ask, what's the 22 on your finger? Oh, I love numbers. I'm big into like... I like numbers too, and 22 numbers. is my favorite number. Is it really? I'm, I'm October 22nd, it's my birthday, but oh, like 22 right. is like my number I see everywhere, including your finger. I do too. <laughs> no, it comes up for me like even in like the, the totals yeah. as I check oh, out. Oh yeah, me She's too. She's talking yeah, about a tattoo for those who are Yeah, confused. yeah, on her finger she has a 22, and yeah. I... See, 22 is everywhere. Oh my gosh, oh. Victoria, we're going to do something. <laughs> um, no, it, it comes up a lot for me. Got it. Cool. Maybe it's just one of those numbers everyone's. How do you be a social entrepreneur? You get some tattoos. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that wrapped up our conversation with Beth Bond. Beth, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your journey, your experience, your story with our listeners. Did you? The listener enjoyed this episode. If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesomes. While you're leaving that review, go ahead and subscribe on whatever platform it is you listen, whether that is iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the various other podcasting platforms in which you can find the show. For full show notes, references, and resources, grab it all at www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. That'll do it for this one. Thanks again to Beth Bond for joining us. For Victoria Cohen, I am Raj Nation. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. My baby's sweet, I mean she's sweeter than all outdoors. Love pours through my veins and I love my pores. I want you and I need you. Won't you come and see me? I want you. this episode we sit down with beth bond that is tough to say with beth bond <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's, the, that's the first time i've ever heard that okay beth was a hard okay <laughs> let's dive in now to our conversation with beth bond Woo-hoo.
Come on, I can do that, right? Yeah, it's fine. Keep going. Welcome, Maddie. <laughs> Thanks, Victoria. You're on, lady. <laughs> That's how this episode is starting. It's a little different, <laughs> folks. Okay. I can't anymore. Oh my God. Oh my God. Come on, we're going to be you. funny. This is my personality.